Welcome to Group Talk. Four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Here to There with Carolyn Picetta. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Here to There, where we explore movement from our present reality to the future that God has for us. Since the pandemic started in early March of 2020, gosh, it seems like forever, the word digital has been used constantly to describe the activities of our lives, how we work, how we do school, how we learn, shop, worship, and connect with others. Basically, digital is largely how we now engage with the world and everything in it. And this has been a huge paradigm shift, but actually I think it was well on its way, especially for our younger generations, even before the pandemic, but COVID certainly has forced it into the fabric of life for everyone. So digital life is not an option anymore, but it really is the reality for most of us and for our churches. So most churches by now have developed lots of online content, broadcasts, live stream services, and social media, video Bible studies, and online small groups and volunteer trainings. But what does all this mean for discipleship? Can digital discipleships be as effective as being done in person? And does making disciples digitally require something fundamentally different? Or is it just a change in medium with the same message? This is so important because even after COVID is under control and more people return to church buildings, we'll most likely be using a hybrid of both physical and digital space. So we need to get better at making disciples through the digital medium and taking advantage of its benefits as well as overcoming its challenges. So here to help us think through some of these issues related to making disciples digitally is Bart Shaw. Bart, thank you so much for being on here today. Hey, thanks, Carolyn, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yes. Yeah, so in, um, since, let me tell you a little bit about Bart, because Bart's a newer friend. I'm so excited to talk with him today. Um, since 2017, Bart has been serving at Traders Point Christian Church, which is a multi-site congregation in Indianapolis, Indiana, with five campuses. He's been their lead groups minister, campus pastor for their 2,000-plus site, um, and on their leadership team. So prior to that, though, um, Bart was had ministered in, for 12 years. He looks so young. You guys can't see him, but he looks young. But apparently, he's 12 years as a discipleship and teaching pastor in northern Indiana. He is um, born and bred Indiana, yes? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> um, so Bart has served in both small and mid-sized churches with Sunday school models and small groups, and now he's at a mega church of 10,000 plus with 450 small groups. He has a wide range of church experience, which is really helpful to us. Um, and he's also a certified life coach and trained in 3DM discipleship ministry. Hey, what is that? Uh, it's just an arm of the church that empowers churches how to make disciples. And so they walk through Jesus's model methodology and uh, super helpful. It helped us a ton um, at the church I was at previously to, to make disciples who make disciples. Oh, that's great. Okay. So you've been dealing with this topic for a long time, um, pre-pandemic. Uh, okay. So Bart is also part of our small group network, Huddle Indianapolis, and we actually met at the lobby conference in 2018. So Bart, I think that was your first small group network event, right? Uh, yeah, I chuckle. It was actually this last year, Carolyn, in 2020. It feels like three years, but it was this past it year. It was, you're right. <laughs> it does. It was. So it was great. It was my first one though, and it was great. Um, honestly, it blew me away. I love the format. Maybe that's the groups guy in me, but the retreat vibe, the late night fire pits, uh, Orange County in February is, you know, not bad either, but uh, <laughs> it was amazing. And I, I came back and I told our team, um, I said, man, this was, 
I've been to a lot of conferences in my years. I'm probably am older than you think. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it was the be- it was the best. It was definitely at the very top of the list. And I highly recommend it. So it was great. And we didn't pay Bart to say that. And Bart and I met after one of the sessions, and we're, it was around discipleship or something, and we happened to be near our table, um, and he introduced himself, and we got to chatting about discipleship and what they were doing, and I made a note of it to uh, follow up with it. So it's just taken, what, post-pandemic, a little bit. Yeah, I haven't done anything in the last year. I've just been waiting. That's it. Yes, exactly. Nothing's been happening in your life. <laughs> So um, I do want to mention that we do have the lobby coming up again on February 23rd, 24th, and this one will be virtual. Um, so maybe we'll have uh, images of the fire pit. But the conversations, we really are focusing on allowing that kind of organic conversations to happen. So we have a ton of breakout um, topics and people in separate rooms, and it's super affordable. You can watch and process with your team. You don't have to get on a plane, and there's still time to sign up. I checked that. So um, take a look on the Small Group Network website. I'll post the link on the show notes as well, and come join us. I think we have over 300. That's the plus side of doing a virtual um, is that we have room. We don't have, we're not limited to the retreat center. We have room for that. Um, but if you'd rather wait till 2022, you can join us in person. It'll be on February 22nd, 24th, around the same time frame in lovely, warm Southern California. So, Bart, were you one of those Midwest people that were wearing shorts the whole time while I was in sweater and scarf and full length <laughs> down jacket? <laughs> That's funny. Uh, no. Well, here's the thing, Carolyn, you need to know about Midwesterners. We take shorts with us anytime we go to a state outside of our own that's south or east or west. So anything but north, we bring shorts. I'm not crazy, though. I think I have a little bit of California blood. I'm, I'm kind of a weather wimp. So it was gorgeous there, but I don't think I wore my shorts. No, it was that was the Minnesota, the... You know, the, yeah. definitely the East Coast guys. It was that was pretty. Fun. You can always tell where people are from based on based on that. So, Bart, as we dive into this topic of making disciples digitally, tell us a little bit about your church, um, Traders Point, and what the last year has looked like for your small groups ministry as you adapted to the pandemic. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to. So I think one thing that's helpful to know about our church is we are a 187-year-old congregation. So we have made a few changes, you know, over the years, (laughs) just a few, just a few. Uh, And like everybody, we were caught off guard. I mean, we had talked about online groups. We had talked about an online campus. We had plans to develop both of those in about a year's time from when this all went down. And obviously God's plans were way quicker than ours. And so Mm. we were off to the races and trying to figure out how to get all of our groups online, um, how to attempt to equip leaders in a new way. Um, we, we saw the opportunity early to address the initial shock and isolation people were experiencing. So we quickly launched short-term online groups. That was something new, new for us. And we, I remember talking to our team and, um, and, and putting the vision in front of us that we need to pray for 50 leaders. Like let's, let's launch 50 Mm. groups to meet people in the midst of isolation. And we did, we prayed and we had to recruit leaders in like 48 hours. And I think we had over a hundred leaders that responded in less than 48 hours that they were willing to, and most of these were existing group leaders, staff members mm-hmm. that we said, Hey, here's the vision. Here's what we think is going to happen. Would you consider leading an additional group online only for the next eight weeks? And so, so we had picked them rather than just putting of, out a yeah, call. We yeah, that makes sense school. for online. Yeah. And we had to in such a short turnaround. And so we ended up launching maybe 60 of those groups with 400 wow. people that signed up in just like a week's time. And so it was it was a beautiful mess. Most of them had never <laughs> been in group before. And so there was a lot of bumps in the road, but it, it really met a need. And so that was something mm-hmm. we stepped into. We did a lot of stuff that I think everybody probably did, right? So we did live training events, leveraged Facebook. We did watch parties. I think we realized it wasn't quite as scary or as hard as we thought it was mm-hmm. going to be to make that move online. It was something that we were already leaning towards. And so it just forced us into it. And I think 
that's a great picture of what we're talking about today, discipleship, kind of getting forced into it before you're ready. And so um, as a church, we have been physically gathering since mid-September. Uh, we've regathered physically. We're seeing about 25, 30% of our people come back. Um, mm -hmm. Most of them are still online. It continues to grow there. Yeah. Um, groups are still mostly hybrid and they're kind of group dependent, whether they're meeting physical or digital or some, you know, hybrid in between. Uh, and I think that time that we've had has allowed us to rebuild and to focus on the gaps that we've seen. And so we've started to implement new types of content, trying to find better baby steps for new believers, mm -hmm. obviously trying to leverage anything online that we can, addressing issues we're seeing like biblical illiteracy and creating new pathways for disciples and leaders. Like those have been things that have been like near and dear to us in the midst of this year that we're trying to take steps forward in. Yeah, and we'll dive into that more specifically um, later in the program. But I know on our Facebook page, which you're also active on, so you've probably seen it as well, on the Small Group Network page, there's been uh, conversations this January around how I think a lot of us that did have that little initial spark of the newness of, you know, Zoom meetings and kind of when we thought it was only going to last like two, three months. Right. And then kind of this long haul has taken a toll. And I think there's been conversation on our, our um, Facebook page about how difficult it's been to get new leaders on board this fall, certainly um, in January. It's been a really an uphill for us at our church. And I was happy to, not happy, but Glad to see, Misery Loves Company, glad to see that, um, you know, we weren't alone in that, that a lot of churches. Have you noticed that kind of a plateauing effect um, now that we've been in this for so long? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're not alone. I think we're all feeling that. Uh, it's been a really difficult season, and, and it's a good question to consider. I think there's lots of reasons why that has happened. Um, I think ultimately when I think about it, I think it's because it's hard. I think life... Mm -hmm is very hard and it's simplified in some ways, right? But it's gotten exponentially harder in others. So Zoom fatigue, of course, is a real thing. Virtual calls, people are on all day, is taxing, it takes more out of you. Um, people aren't disconnected from work, they're trying to do e-learning with kids. There's that general sense of isolation and depression and all the tensions we faced in this year. And I think, honestly, people just kind of want to curl up in the corner with a blanket yes. and wait for the storm to pass. And we realized a few weeks in, like, yeah, that's not going to work. And so, you know, I've had a lot of conversations, Carolyn, with people in our church in this season. And, and the best way that I think I can explain this phenomenon is that it feels like, it feels like death by a million paper cuts. Mm -hmm. You know, if you break your arm, it's obvious, right? You know, your right, arm's broken. Right. It has to be dealt with. There's, there's a box for that. Like this is a process for that. Exactly. If, if grandma dies, you have a box for that. Like, you know, you need to deal right. with that, that, that grief, but in COVID it's, it's severely truncated. It's convoluted. And so there's, there's no box for pandemic. There's no box for racial political <laughs> tension, sure. right? There's, there's no box for these things for isolation and debates on masks and overreactive social media vomit that we all see all the time. Right. And so I think what I've had to help people do is just sit down and realize when they look down, I said, bro, you're bleeding out. Like you're, it's mm -hmm. death by a million paper cuts. And I think that contributes to the problem um, that we see where people are reluctant to take on another thing. They don't exactly. know how to deal with everything they're facing. And so it really points to, to that issue. And I think it's really a deeper problem, which is the, the problem that we find in our church with the deficiency in discipleship. And I know that's what we want to talk about. I mentioned to you yeah. earlier that there's a study that came out from mm -hmm. discipleship.org and Exponential on the state of discipleship in the U.S. And it's, it's staggering. It's sobering on a lot of levels. Yeah, that, gosh, um, that study is beyond sobering. <laughs> I'm looking at it going, oh, goodness. But actually, um, it wasn't that surprising, was it, Bart? 
No, not really. I mean, if you if you follow research and data, I know you love that stuff too. They mostly all tell the same story. I just I think care. it's a story you don't always want to hear. And so we need to create a new story, but it should cause us to, to draw some pause and do something different. And hopefully we can make some progress in that today. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So um, if you wouldn't mind kind of giving, breaking down that study, and because it's not just this one study, um, as you point out, I mean, it, it, it really is. We've been hearing about this, the alarm bell on discipleship and Bible literacy and just what we're calling discipleship. I mean, the the squishiness that we've embraced with that word itself is is problematic. I mean, that those that conversation has been going on for, for years. And I can tell you for every lobby, at every lobby, we have a breakout around it, and that is always full, um, and that's usually the topic that's around the fire pits, too. I mean, we're all wrestling with it, no matter what kind of church we're at um, and how long we've been doing the job. I think this is really central, obviously, discipleship. It's central for everyone. So, But that um, study gives us a handle, and I'll link that in our show notes as well. But if you wouldn't mind giving us kind of a brief summary of some of the key findings that they did in that study, um, and we can kind of talk through that and see what our learnings might be. Yeah, no, that's great. I'd, I'd love to do that. And again, I, I had no involvement in the study other than I'm a reader of it, like you know many of you would be. And it's it's made for us to be able to to stomach it pretty easy, even though the, the nature of what we're covering is sometimes difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the whole thing is is immensely relevant for us as small group leaders because if small groups don't aid in discipleship, then they're not offering anything different than the world is already providing. And so yes. we have to figure out ways to get this done digitally, physically. And so I love that. And so when I look at the data, so I'll just kind of break it down here. So they surveyed thousands of pastors and and their churches, and then they placed churches into five kind of well-defined markings from one to five on their ability to make disciples and multiply. So level one is the type of church that they quantified as a church that is subtracting from disciple-making efforts. So they are going backwards, right? Uh, This is 29% of churches in the U.S., so almost a third. I know, it's already starting off bad, right? So almost a third of them, which is surprisingly similar to what Barna has recently put out, if you've seen that, that 30% of churches will close in the next two or three years or whatever that stat was. It's, It's heartbreaking. Level two were churches then that have plateaued. So neither helping nor hindering disciple-making efforts. Now, this was a huge chunk, 44%. So here we're already looking at the first two categories, level one, level two, being three quarters of all churches in the United States. Right. Pause. (laughs) So level three then begins to move the needle a little bit. So level three churches that they found were churches that were adding disciples by church program. So they were increasing numerically. They're adding, there's a lot of uh, verbiage that goes with that. So I'd encourage the listeners Mm -hmm. to go ahead and check that out. That was 27%. Of the churches, so if you're if you're a mathematician, you would already do the math and realize that's 100%. So we've covered 100% of all the churches in those first three levels. So there's a little caveat. So level four would be churches that are reproducing personal disciple makers. Now, out of that 27% that is growing and adding, five percent of the total of those are also that level four church, so a little less than. So so we have four point something percent of churches in the U.S. are reproducing personal disciple makers. They're making people. Who are making some disciples and then level five is that next level which is multiplying personal disciple makers this is what we could call a disciple making movement these are happening all around the, the world yes. but when they looked around the country and they interviewed thousands of churches and pastors they found zero evidence of a disciple making movement in the u.s that that pains my heart it's very because, sobering yeah, yeah very sobering 
Um, so that's difficult. Those are difficult findings. And, and I think the report was done really, really well. Um, and, and so, I mean, there are a couple more things that they pulled out of that. Those are the big ones, of course. But I think what they saw was that some of the problems were there's a lack of commonly understood definitions. So every culture needs a language. Like there is, if there's not clear language, then it's really hard to know what you're talking about. It's hard to gauge effectiveness if you don't know that you're talking about the same thing. And church is notorious for that, especially with discipleship. Right. Um, and it's interesting, even across churches, if we were to ask 10 pastors to define it, you would probably get 10 similar-ish answers. But I think even within a church staff, even if you have five people, you ask to, dis- to um, what is disciple? What is a disciple? What is disciple making? What's disciple maker? I think you may end up with slightly different variations. So I actually really like the definition that they came up with. Yeah, it's really good. And that's what they're suggesting. We know there's not a perfect definition for disciple, but there probably are more useful ones than others. And so the one they gave is from Matthew 4.19. And I love that where Jesus says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so the definition they give is a follower of Jesus being transformed by Jesus and committed to the mission of Jesus. So this is a person who is following him intentionally, being changed by him in his spirit in alignment with his mission. And that's a beautiful, comprehensive definition of what a disciple is. And so if we can lock in on that, that helps already win some of that battle as opposed to having 50 different definitions. Then if we're trying to make that thing, we're making it slightly different. Yeah, yeah. and their emphasis on um, the relationships and intentionality, like they talk about that quite a bit. Um, and I I liked their phrase was these churches, and they don't pull any punches. These churches um, are guilty of intent without impact because there was such a disconnect um, between what uh, pastors were reporting. If When they asked pastors, do you think you're making disciples? The numbers were huge. Um, mm-hmm. And then when they actually tested it, the numbers were really low. And there's this cognitive distance between the two. And they say it's because we may have that desire or that intentionality, and we're grading ourselves on that rather than the actual impact. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Carolyn, we have a word for that. It's called pastor math, right? <laughs> so we all, we've all been a part of this to some way, shape, or form. And you're right. That is one of the big findings they came, came out with was that pastors are overly optimistic in their assess- assessment of disciple-making cultures. And so we have to come to grips with the fact that we say, yeah, we have this many people making disciples, but when we look at the fruit and the, me- the things that are measurable, they're just not there to back it up. And so we have to find ways to, to face that and get better at it. And they give us yeah. some recommendations. They do. And if you want, if our listener wants to do a quick um, gut check on this with no judgment whatsoever, just, just you and God, um, he, the study says that the average pastor spends 9% um, of their work hours on personally equipping people to make disciples. 9%. So think about that for a second and think about how much time you do or don't spend on personally equipping people. So not necessarily running programs. Um, but doing this personally, and um, that that also can be a bit convicting as well, um, and that's reflective of the fact that we aren't. We all say we're making disciples. We want to make disciples who make disciples. Like a hundred percent, everyone listening mm-hmm. to this would agree with that statement. Um, the great, you know, the Great Commission, but st- it doesn't bear out. So um, I know you and your team have been doing some deep thinking and discussion around how groups can make disciples leveraging technology and doing it more digitally. So what have you been learning um, and what changes have you implemented? 
Yeah, those are great questions. And I mean, I think everyone can can answer that. Yes, we've all been trying to find ways to implement that and to do it better. So I think one thing for us as Traders Point, as a church, we've realized that this is not a, a one year or so blip on the map. It is a true shift. We will look back in the history books, and this will be a shift when I think the digital age truly came into being, and it really had some massive implications on society. And this digital is the word that we use, right? This physical digital, this digital church. That that doesn't really roll off the tongue well. I know, I know. I've been reading that in the media. I'm like, digital. It it just is kind of bulky. It is. We use it all the time. There's not a better word. If you have one, submit it. We'll put it in the definition glossary somewhere. But, uh, you know, so this digital church that we are working to build and adapt, you know, it's not going away. And so churches that don't get that sadly won't be effective. And many of them won't be here in the near future. That's the sad reality. And so we have to face it. So if we if we use this digital, we use this digital lens in everything that we do. So all of our approaches now from our online campus, even staffing, um, staffing our online team and, and groups, online groups, pastors, I mean, to engage people in digital and physical ways, that's the lens that we're using. And groups, of course, are no different. And, you know, I, I think we're waking up to this, this somewhat shocking reality that doing church doesn't really disciple people, not the way that we did it before. And so people disciple people. That's always been true. It, it should have been more obvious. I think we knew that, but we have to really keep that in front of us. People disciple people. And so we're getting creative about using online group type environments as a new front door, starter groups, watch parties, things like that to meet people, whatever that that medium is, we want to leverage it for the gospel and for disciple making efforts. And so we've worked really hard to, to tackle our cultural wave of biblical literacy, moral relativism, the stuff that we're all facing. And we're getting ready to launch some discipleship tracks and cohorts that we think are going to better equip our people in Christian doctrine, Christian practice, attempting to try to address some of those clear deficiencies that we are seeing as we're kind of rebuilding a lot of things. Yeah. Okay. So I have a, um, gosh, that's a lot. Makes me want to be at Trader's Point. <laughs> it sounds exciting. Come on over. It's a great place. I promise. <laughs> it, it, it's a tad cold, tad cold for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. There's no beach here either. My wife reminds me of that sometimes. Yes. But, um, well, let's drill down a little bit. So when you talk about the online group piece, do you have dedicated online group pastors? Um, I know you're at a size big enough where you can do that. Um, And when you say you've now gearing everything towards that digital space, walk us through what that looks like. Yeah, we do. We do have staff dedicated. So when we launched the online campus, we've always had stuff for recent years anyway, online, but we really made it a robust, robust, full-fledged campus. So we view it as a full campus. We've staffed it. We have a campus pastor. We have people that are working chat hosts and helping people go through baptism. And we've tried to create and figure out a lot of things that I think a lot of people, especially our size, are trying to figure out because of the resourcing to do it. And so we have online only groups. And this is the balance we're trying to figure out. So we have right now, all of our groups are kind of online anyway, or at least some yes. semblance of that. So yes. at what point do they, are they a part of the online campus? Or at what part are they a part of our local campuses? And I don't know if we've figured that out yet, but we do have teams and people that that is their job. Like they are helping raise up leaders who are only online connected, whether they live in our city or outside our city. Again, we have people connecting from all over the world as well. And so trying to help them wherever they're at really, um, have a robust life-giving relationship, even in a digital space. And so so you're not trying to push that online people into, because before 2020, mm-hmm. I think the idea was that the online piece was a supplement and that if ideally they would maybe use that as a front door, watch a service, join a group, and then they would eventually show up on campus. Right. But now the way you're, you guys are thinking of it, and I think this is the future, that they're going to be permanent citizens of the yep. online um, space and you don't ever expect to see them show up at your door. 
You're exactly right, Carolyn. I mean, we used to say like it's a online is a great place to start, not a great place to stay. And we've stopped saying that because yes. it has changed. Culture has shifted in such a way that for us to be relevant. Now, we know there's tremendous advantages in person that you still can't get online. We know that. Right. Right. There are deficiencies, but we're not throwing that baby out the bathwater. And so we know that there's too much fruit to be had there. It is our definitive front door. It is the way that people are coming to us and connecting that wouldn't come into a campus, even if they live near one. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, we're, we're fine with people staying there. Now, there still is a desire if they live close to one to get them to a church is still a goal, but we're not saying that outright because we know that there is enough value online that we can meet people there and adjust to those mediums in, in helpful ways. And what are some advantages um, that you're, you found that were surprising to the digital, obviously convenience, um, you know, that you don't have to, for us, yeah. the drive, you know, commuting, you guys have snow yeah. to drive through in all of that. So for trainings, sure. actually, I haven't hated it. Um, no. I miss the meal sharing. We used to have a big meal together. Mm -hmm. We used to have story time. So I miss some of that and organic um, hallway kind of environment. But the actual training piece, I, we actually have more people attending because it's more convenient, especially our older people. Mm. Yeah, that's good. We've seen a little bit of everything. We're still trying to figure that out too. I think convenience is a big piece. We're seeing that people can now come that couldn't come before. And so like when you'd have people miss group, there's really no excuse anymore. I mean, I have guys that will come to my group, we'll meet distance, masked, physical, but there might be two guys that will be on the road or not ready to come in or they're in quarantine or whatever. And so they're, they're joining in via Zoom or whatever it is. So I think that there are a lot of opportunities for that. It does allow us to train people better. And I think we'll get into some of that too, because we've, we've done things a little bit different. So we are the Christian belief and practice and some of these cohorts and tracks that we're implementing are helping us create kind of new models for us to, to really empower people, hit that baseline of biblical literacy and help them take next steps. And so we're implementing a, a new LMS, a learning management system. I know some churches probably use that, which has been a dream for a long time. I'm super excited about it. It's going to help us take steps to, to monitor where our people are at. So in the past, we do mm -hmm. these trainings, we put them out there and, and I don't know who took them or who didn't. I don't, you know, right. we tell them two or three times, hey, if you didn't do the training, right. do the training, try to follow up one-on-one. -on -one. It's been really hard to follow up with leaders. Uh, and so it will actually track a lot of those things for us. Where are people in their discipleship journey and growth? Where are our leaders in their, their ongoing development? Have they got these modules done? Have they responded? And so it's interactive. So our team's working on that right now. And that's something that we're super excited about. Did you build that in-house? Uh, or did you buy it? No, I'm not 100% sure, actually. And if people want to reach out at the end here, I'll get you connected with the people that know. It's outside my pay grade and league. So we have a lot of smart people. I know there's, yeah, no, I know there's um, stuff out there that, because I've seen it on our Facebook too, that people that do track it um, nope. digitally for people. But are you talking, when you talk about these cohorts, are you making smaller, um, you know, smaller, like two, three people, like discipleship groups kind of thing? Yeah, no, good question. No, it's really actually larger. So it's a little bit different mm -hmm. and it can be done in a fidgetal way. So they can be done by a group itself to go through. So they have two modules, Christian beliefs, Christian practices. Each one's got six components that cover kind of those basic Christian theology doctrine and then Christian practice, missional living, that kind of a stuff. And so we just realized there's such a deficiency there. We want our groups and our core people to know like, hey, this is how you can begin to be discipled. And this is an important piece of that. So they can be done as a group. It can be done as an individual. They can be done in large learning environments, virtual learning environments, any combination of those. And so we're beginning to roll those out internally now so that we can then roll them out externally here in the fall and then the beginning of next year. And are you drawing from your existing small groups for that? Or just is it a whole separate program? Yeah, it's, it's separate, but it will dovetail. So they'll work together. So that discipleship piece and small groups are kind of coming together and we're trying to figure out how to 
to blend that really well. So people could not be in a group and still go through Christian belief, Christian practice, um, or a group, like I said, could go through it together. So we'll continue to evaluate like how effective that is and how we can blend those really well, but we'll see them as core pieces that we really want everybody to go through because again, that baseline is just not there. Uh, as we see new believers coming and unchurched people come to our church, we realize that there's just a big gap. And so how can we help them get there? Uh, it's hard with group leaders to train them all the same way and expect that the right. exact same thing's going to happen. And right. so we need to create some ways for that to happen outside of that, which is partly what this is answering. You know, it's interesting in the study, um, they talk about the level three um, people um, or churches. And part of level three churches, they say, is there's a little bit of movement, but he, they say that discipleship has primarily in North America been defined as programs. And that's the danger we fall into. We Not that you guys are going to do this, but I thought it was worth mentioning because I think sometimes we fall in the trap of um, the busyness or the productivity, because that makes us feel good, of doing the programs. Um, and then we kind of shy away from actually measuring the results. Um, and so the relational piece, I think, helps drive that. Um, and the accountability you're talking about makes is sure that it's not just a uh, program intellectual exercise that they can just check yes. off, yes. but it actually is um, manifesting in their life. You know what I mean? I, I absolutely. And we're very aware of that. And you hit the nail on the head, Carolyn. I mean, that's one thing I would say is discipleship is not consumed. It's lived out. Right, you don't just consume and become a disciple. You have to live it out. It's life on life, and I think we do often as the church default to knowledge. So, ten percent of our learning and growth is knowledge. So, statistics will tell us that. And the other ninety percent is is coaching and experience. So, how do we get environments where people are in labs? They're learning. They're actually doing the things that Jesus called them to do, and they're debriefing those things. They're getting pushed out a little bit before they're. Also, oh, you'll have you'll have experiential yes. pieces to that. There'll definitely be experiential lab pieces. It's not just content, especially in Christian practice, but like they're designed to be more life on life. And so we'll have to figure out how to keep that in front of us. I think honestly, that will be one of our biggest challenges because again, the default is just to default to knowledge um, and information, and that will not get us the disciples that we're lacking in that survey and across the board. Do you think it's a progression? Like they need to know A to do B to do C, or do you think it happens all at once? We, I asked that because we recently had a conversation on our um, leadership team about whether whether we have, because we have a discipleship pathway-ish thing, but then we find that, especially in the last year, that people are entering all sorts of different places. Some people enter through service, a serving project. They may not even be Christians, may not know much about Jesus, but they really like how we're serving um, kids with special needs, and they'll just pop in in that space first. Some people might start in um, in a small group first because they have a friend. Some people pop in by watching the service first. I mean, there there's a lot of different pieces, and then we're like, well, how do you, but then we have this discipleship um, track that kind of starts with the Christian worldview and that kind of thing. And so we were like, well, do we, we want people to engage however way they engage, but then they also do need some basic pieces. So yeah. there's like a, a tension there. Yeah, there is for sure a tension there. And there's exceptions to every rule, but I think we do have to push them to that pathway. Create a simple, reproducible, effective pathway that people can see. And I think if they do, they know how to progress. And that's the hard part because you don't want it to be, you know, I've, I'm, I've leveled up to this tier and all that kind of stuff. But it is something really empowering and powerful about having a clear, reproducible pathway. And that's what we've tried to do, just 
kind of three steps on a pyramid to help us get like from one step to the next to the next. And so I think people can come in at different spots and there will be plenty of exceptions to the rule, but the normal masses will probably move in a pretty sequential way that will be able to help funnel. And a lot of that comes down to creating the culture for that. Right. It has to be your common language. It has to be what you normalize. It has to be, you know, the type of the things you put resources behind to make it happen. Yeah, that's the hard part. So what advice would you give to our listeners um, who want to take steps to disciple people digitally beyond just having the basic online groups? Hmm. Advice. There's there's a ton. <laughs> you can't afford not to. You hmm. can't afford not to. Uh, now you might not be the innovator. You might not be the early adopter in the whole diffusion of innovation or not tech, or not tech savvy. I think that's exactly. a little frightening for people. Right, and it is frightening, and and people are going to have to press out of their comfort zone, and they're going to have to bring people along that can help them. I mean, my son is 14, and he's the tech whiz of our house now. I've relinquished <laughs> that title; he takes it over. So leverage the next generation. But so in that in that cycle, though, you cannot afford to be a laggard. You cannot be behind in this. So we've got to find ways to leverage technology to innovate on our methods. I think there's just too much writing on it. I believe that this shift will birth tremendous innovation in the church to meet our culture. And we've just got to think in those terms. I think um, it was Jim Carroll who said that the title of his book or to think big, start small, scale fast. Like that's kind of the advice I think that we're trying to adopt as a, as a culture at Traders Point. And I would, I would just submit that to our listeners, like think big, start small, scale fast, pray hard. Maybe I'll throw that one in there too, to, to Christianize that, but it's true. It's <laughs> nice. true. Um, and so I think those are the type of things that we're trying to really step into, but you can't afford not to. Yeah, that's true. That was more, instead of advice, that was more like a prophetic call. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. You, you can't afford not to. And I've actually toyed around with maybe um, asking our small group leaders because of that 9% thing mm -hmm. to deliberately, intentionally choose, you know, one or two people. Yes. Um, and just because they feel like they need to care for everyone equally um, and though we train them that you don't need to, they still kind of default there and they want everyone to be comfortable and everyone to be in the same space. I'm like, then not everybody is in the same um, spiritual uh, space to move forward or hungry at the same level. Um, right. And so I think just even starting small, to your point, starting mm -hmm. small would be to say, hey, so if you have a, you know, 20 groups, 30 groups, 50 groups, whatever, imagine, I mean, you would have, um, if every small group leader picked one person in their group, and I know we called it apprenticing and all these other things, but I mean, maybe even more basic than that, right, Bart? Not even like to raise them up as small group leaders, but just to raise them up as a disciple. I love that, Carolyn. Yes. And I would agree that that's something that we need to do and could do better because the reality is if you're not doing it that way, you're not doing it like Jesus did. He did that. He didn't treat all his disciples the same way. There was a difference there. And so I think we need to have that mentality. And one of the things that we try to fight through, so like our baseline for everything in our groups and where we try to point people to help them grow is to really live out what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, he gave us the, the wise and foolish builder story, right? And he said, the wise builder is the one who hears my words and puts them into practice. And so that's right. really what we try to help people do. How do you listen to the voice of God and how do you respond? It's a game changer when you allow the Holy Spirit to speak and you give people space to do that and learn how to process, to be still, to know that he is God. It changes everything. They begin to hear things they didn't hear before, and they begin to have to be faced with the obedience of, this is an application question at the end of a study. This is God right. saying something to me, and I have to face whether or not I'm going to do it or not. And then I have to be accountable to a friend or a few friends or my group. And so we really try to point people in that direction because we believe that's where discipleship happens. That's where fruit happens is when we are obedient, right? Teach them to obey. It's the whole great 
great commission stuff. So that's what we're trying to do too. And I think that's a great idea um, to find someone or a couple of someones and start small, just go. And that's true for us as small group uh, ministry peeps, you know, as point leaders, that if the modeling piece of it, you can't get away from it. If we're only spending 9% of our time actually doing this, and then right. we're telling them to spend a lot of time doing it, um, it's not going to bear fruit. I think yeah. we need to kind of put ourselves in the trenches too, which is harder and more vulnerable and <laughs> messy, beautiful mess. I think we called it earlier, yes. Um, yes. but the beauty is that God's in it. And so it, the mess is worth it. Um, so far, thank you so much for this conversation. I was wondering, and I'm putting you in the spot now, if um, you have to be part of your church to get um, to see kind of what these modules you're talking about are, if there's a way to take a look at them um, otherwise. Yeah, good question. Um, I will gladly give you whatever we have. Nothing is published yet for that. Okay. And so there are some things that we're doing internally that it's getting very, very close. And so you can go to our website, tpcc.org. Uh, you can even go slash group dash leaders for some of our group leader training and content. Some of that's getting updated in light of a lot of the changes we're making too, oh, but there's stuff there. And if we can be of any help to anyone, I mean, we want to, we want to make the kingdom better. So feel free to reach out. And once we get those things, we'll, we'll send them along. So some of it still has to be completely fleshed out to see how effective it is, but we really believe we've got something that will be helpful for our people. Everyone want to wait a few months and see you make all the mistakes and then we can learn from that. And then Gladly. we'll have part, part two. Okay. What Bart has learned from this adventure so that, you know, we always want to want to kind of learn from other people's yeah. mistakes rather we'll than make our own. We'll but, tell you uh, yeah. how we failed. Yeah. Well, we'll do, um, I'll link that in the show notes as well. And so thank you for your generosity um, to the church big C in sharing that resource. So Bart, if people want to get a hold of you and um, what's the best way to do that uh yeah i mean i'm available facebook instagram all that kind of stuff not too hard to find the best way is probably email so just email me b shaw okay. so b-s-h-a-w at tpcc.org um and if i can't help you if there's someone on my team that can like i said we want to collaborate we've got a lot of talented people here and we love the kingdom we love the big c church so if we can learn something or fail at something that can help you like let me know i'd love to connect you that's so great. That's the heartbeat for our network anyway. And Bart is part of the network in Indianapolis. So if you are in the area, um, you know, hit him up for that and join that huddle. Um, and you can also interact with him on the Facebook page as well. So Bart, thank you so much. Um, God bless you and your ministry. Oh, thanks, Carolyn, so much. It's been great to be on here with you. This was fun. Yeah. Well, thank you all for listening to Here to There. And until next time, remember, we are better together. Hey, Small Group Network family, Jason Banzoff here. Group Talk producer and small group network creative arts director. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Here to There. And thank you so much to Carolyn Takeda and Bart Shaw for that great episode. Now, before we go, let's talk about some upcoming events. Due to the COVID-19 restrictions in California, this year's annual lobby gathering will be held live online. And the lobby is one of the nation's premier small group training and networking events. This year's event will run from 9 a.m. to noon Pacific Standard Time each day, and will start off with a general session in the first hour, followed by various breakout sessions on every small group hot topic you can think of. Speakers include Steve Gladen from Saddleback, Bill Willis from North Point, and Dave Enns from North Coast, and over 40 breakout session speakers. Get 30% off now by using code SAVECASH. That's S-A-V-E-C-A-S-H. Visit smallgroupnetwork.com forward slash events to register you and your team today. And also, we can't forget about Accelerate. Accelerate the health and growth of your small group ministry by attending one of our Accelerate small group workshops. Coming up, we have one in South Carolina 
on April 12th and 13th, and Florida, which I will be hosting on April 20th and 21st, and then Las Vegas, May 4th through the 5th. These are going to be events you don't want to miss, so make sure you check out smallgroupnetwork.com forward slash events. And thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you enjoy this program, please take a few minutes to give us a positive rating on iTunes so that other small group point people can find us more easily. We encourage you to visit our website, smallgroupnetwork.com, to access our library of free resources, connect to a huddle with other small group ministry leaders in your area, read our blog articles, or join us on our Facebook group. Don't forget to use the hashtag SGNet when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.